well, throughout Jesus' ministry, he not only regularly shared his mission and his purpose, but he modeled it every single day for his disciples. And the hundreds and thousands of people that followed him also got a chance to witness Jesus going after his mission, his purpose, the goal in which he had come. And it was clear as he talked about it and as he interacted with people, the mission of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. Did you get that though? His mission was to seek. There was this action that was in the mission. The the main thrust of what Jesus came to do was to go and to seek those who were hurting, desperate and hopeless, And lost, it was who he was, it is why he came. And so, from town to town and village to village, Jesus made it his ambition day after day after day to interact, to engage with as many people as he possibly could, helping those who were lost and defeated to understand that there was hope available. And the hope that Jesus was providing, the hope that he was giving, would be a hope that would never ever disappoint. He said it was kind of like drinking a living water, that once you drank it, you would never be thirsty again. It was that kind of hope he said I'm giving. It was kind of like a bread from heaven that once you ate it, it would fill you completely even down to your soul. And Jesus said the hope I'm giving isn't going to go away and it won't cause you to want. It'll give you peace and satisfaction. You see, the hope that Jesus was giving was also not limited to anything in the flesh. You see, Jesus came, he was crucified, hung on that cross. He was buried in a tomb. The Bible tells us three days later, the hope of Jesus and the hope of everlasting life came crashing through death's walls. And for all of those people who had put their trust in Jesus, their hope was now secured for all of eternity. Now they knew that no matter what happened on this earth, the hope of Jesus could last through it all and would sustain them to the end. You see, Jesus knew his mission. He came to seek and to save the lost, and he modeled it, which is why when Jesus came to this earth and he gathered people around, And he brought the disciples in and he gave them the same mission. It was no surprise that after he rose from the grave, he gathered them around and he said, and I'm giving you the same mission that God had gave to me, that my father had given to me. But here's the key. Jesus says, not only will you go out onto that mission but I'm going to go with you. Listen to exactly what what many believers would call the Great Commission, but I want you to understand it in context of this idea that Jesus was sent with a mission and was now passing off the mission. Listen to what he said, the last words really, before he ascended into heaven to be with the Father. Listen to what he said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Many of you already know it, but listen to what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow. You see, the mission of Jesus 
was to seek, was to go and to save the lost. And he said, and I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. I want you to share what I've shared with you. Now with that great commission, we call it, because a co-mission is when you're on a mission with another. And we're not on a mission on our own. We are on a mission with Jesus Christ working and living through us. So it's a co-mission. And we're going to do this together. It's actually Jesus' mission. We just picked up and are taking it forward. Now, with the commission that he gives us, I think there's some implications for all of us who would call themselves believers of Jesus or followers of Jesus. The first is implied with that commission is this. There's this understanding that we ourselves are already disciples. Because if we're going to make disciples, we first of all need to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of him, one who is striving to live under his authority and Jesus' discipleship. So the first box that needs to be checked is before I seek and save the lost like Jesus, before I go and make disciples, the first question is, am I actually growing in my discipleship? Am I striving under the authority of Jesus? Am I looking to him and his direction for my life and his discipleship with me. So that's the first implication. If he, Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples, the implication is if they're already disciples to begin with. The second thing is this. It's implied with this commission is that we are to share with others what Jesus has done in and through our lives and there's this replication that's going to take place. That what Jesus has done in me might be a little different than the one it's doing in you. But here's the thing. It can happen. The hope that he gave to me can be your hope. The resurrection that's happened in my life can be your resurrection. Jesus, is, he continually was bringing people who were lost and desperate and bringing them into a life of, of hope and peace and strength. And he says, when you go make disciples and you share what I've done with you. Powerful. That's implied when you go and make disciples and you teach them everything I have commanded you. Because Jesus says, I've put it inside of you. Why don't you pass it on? Why don't you give what I have given to you to others? Now, many of us would say, well, I don't know much about the Bible. I'm still growing. I'm a new Christian. Or maybe I just haven't studied it much. And okay. But that's not an excuse that for not going and sharing. Because here's the one thing you do have. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have grabbed onto his hope, you have claimed his forgiveness of sins and are striving to live under his grace for your life, and there's been a transformation happen, then you have something to share right now. Without any Bible verses, you have at least that to share. Would you agree with that? At the very least, that's what you have. So we can't allow that to stop us from going and making disciples. So there's implication, number one, that we are disciples. And number two, that there's this replication that has to happen. I'm sharing it with other people. The third thing is this. The commission that Jesus gives is, has no expiration date. Did you get that? It doesn't time itself out. It doesn't stop. There's never a time in our lives as followers, there's never an age in our life when we can go off the clock and then we can look at our lives and say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go make disciples today. I think I'm going to take a couple days off. I think I'm going to maybe spend some time, I'm going to take a vacation and whatever. I, I think that's what I'm going to do. 
You see, Jesus made it clear that when we are on this mission, that is who we are. It becomes our identity. That every day is this idea of what Jesus has transformed me. Are there opportunities given me? Are there ones around me where now I can share that same hope with others? You see, the very essence of being a disciple of Jesus, it transforms us from it being a job that we do to becoming a person that he wants us to be. Does that make sense? Being a follower of Jesus isn't some sort of a rule-following job or task that has to be completed. It's about this growth inside that's beginning to change us into different people that think differently and act differently and love differently and serve others the way Christ did. Now, with that being clearly understood, what does it really mean to be sent on a mission with our lives. And what does that really look like in 2017? If I'm going to tell you, you, Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to go on a mission. I want you to seek and to save. I want you to take what I've given you and I want you to go. What does that really look like? Well, here's one thing that I've learned throughout my walking with Jesus is that the mission and how it's lived out day to day in the lives of the believers, it should and could look very differently for all of us. Why? Because we're all very different, with very different experiences. Would you agree? Like in this room right now, if we were to kind of say, here's my past pains, here's my past joys, here's where I've been, here's where I haven't been, here's my struggles and addictions and my frustrations, here's what I've overcome, here's where I've been faltering. And some of us would say, I've been on this mountaintop and I've seen and done this with Jesus. And others would say, oh, I haven't done. My point is, we're all coming from different places. And so when we take that mission of Jesus, it makes it such an incredible array that allows us to reach far greater people because we're all so very different. There's actually a wonderful blessing in diversity. Would you not agree? And in the mission and the commission of Jesus, there's designed to be diversity. I say all that to set up this point. Um, over the last several weeks, many of you were a part of what we called our Discovering My Spiritual Gifts class. Um, I want to thank each of you for being a part of that. If you didn't get a chance to be a part of that Discovering My Spiritual Gifts class, why don't you see me and maybe we can work out a time. I can, we can maybe do something at some point and we can figure out a way. But I, I think it's important for all of us to do that. But here's the thing. This Discovering My Spiritual Gifts class was really just an introduction into understanding how God has equipped each one of us differently in order to carry out the mission. That's what it was about. It was about learning how God's wired us up and how he hasn't wired us up. Because here's what we all know. It's really hard to be at our best when we don't know our strengths and we don't know our weaknesses. Now, in that time we spent together, there was a long list of all the different gifts where God biblically tells us different gifts that he gives to people. And some of us would say, well, I didn't have the gift of evangelism. Now, evangelism is a really a church word, right? The word evangelism, kind of understanding that to mean that I go out and I stand on the corners and I preach and I teach and I'm loud and I'm bold and I don't care who hears me kind of thing. But the truth is evangelism in its very nature is just taking a lead role in communicating the gospel and the good news of Jesus. That's really what it means. And so some of us would say, hey, I took the spiritual gifts class and I'm not an evangelist. Yes. 
I know you. All you introverts, I know what you're talking about. You went, yes, I'm off the hook, baby. However, I'm not letting you off the hook. Because just because we don't have the gift of evangelism does not mean that we are not responsible for carrying out the mission and message of Jesus Christ. We just have to do it in the vehicle that God has given us to do it in. Right? I may not get there as fast and it may not be as pretty, but here's the gifting that God's given me. I'll use my gifts to share in this. Now, for many of us, it was such a blessing. I want to share with you now. As I went over, I don't know who did what or who gave gifts. That was very personal. But we did have a list because we checked off how many people had what gifts. And what was really neat is that we had a lot of people had like really strong in regards to their faith or helps or serving or, or giving like the most of it. So the orchard is just full of people who are willing to give, willing to serve, and have a lot of faith to do it. That's pretty cool. That's exciting because that means that we're all at that place where we say, how can I help? I have the faith to try new things and ways to help, and I'm willing to be generous in my giving in order to make that happen in all different ways. I mean, that's cool stuff. However, it's important to understand that in the midst of all that, That even though your giftedness didn't say evangelism, I want to go back to that. You're still under a mission from Jesus to go and make disciples. So we have to figure out, how do I do that in the best way possible with my gifting and my strengths? I'm going to talk about about that in a little bit. And we're backed up by that by one of Jesus' disciples, one of his close, close friends. His name was Peter. And he wrote about this very thing to the church that he was writing to. And listen to what Peter wrote to some Christians listen, in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, he says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He was telling Christians, make sure Jesus is at the top of it all. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So here's what it's saying. You've already figured it out, right? Always be prepared. He's saying, look, there's no excuse if you're a follower of Jesus for you not being able to say, you know what, maybe I don't talk much. I'm an introvert. I don't get around. But Jesus Christ has changed my life. And it's not really up for a debate. And it's really not into your opinion because I know what he's done in my life. And that's why I have the hope I have and that's the way I act the way I act because there will be times when people will question won't they and even if they don't say the words they are wondering why we are so different we've been going over this last month over a series called surprise the world the objective has been over the last five weeks that we would learn habits that would help us be enabling us rather to take the message and the hope of Jesus into our everyday world. So we challenged each other to be a blessing, to bless three people in one week, to to eat with people, three people, and one of them not even a part of our church. We challenged to be listeners of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Last week we talked about learning and growing and our understanding of what it really means to walk with Jesus, to learn who he is so that we can be equipped with the message and the lessons that Christ would have us to be equipped with. And today is the day where we say, but there's also that time where he says it's time to go. You see, the key to carrying out the mission 
isn't just in the knowledge. It's not just in these four or five weeks where we've got a chance to learn stuff. The key to carrying out the mission is not the knowledge or the self-awareness, is it? The key to carrying out any mission is when we choose to put it into practice. Would you not agree? You see, knowledge reaches its potential only when it's put into practice. There is no other way. So it's possible to know what to do. The key is to do it. Right? There's been some great stories throughout all of mankind going all the way back when God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel through Moses. You see, it's one thing to know the Ten Commandments. It's another thing to live them, isn't it? You see, knowing the Ten Commandments is good. Living the Ten Commandments is the answer, right? When David was engaged in strategies for battle, he would talk to God, and it was one thing for God to give him insight and knowledge on how he was to approach these battles. It's one thing to know the battle strategy, but at some point, you got to do what? Get into the battle. you got to go in to the battle. You have to take what you know and to incorporate it. Isn't that true? You see, it's important to not just listen to the Word, to learn what it says, to know stories about Jesus. The real key is, what am I going to do with it? The book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, listen to how he puts it. He says, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Because anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, They'll be blessed in what they do. Now, this is one of those deals where oftentimes us legalistic people will look at it and say, see, I've made a mistake. I didn't do it perfectly. I know what the Bible says, and I chose differently, and I sinned against God, and I sinned against people, and I've made so many mistakes, and I just keep making mistakes over and over again. And see, I can't do what it says. But the key to the whole thing is that we are growing in that process. Listen to how he says it. But whoever looks intently into the law that gives freedom and continues in it, the key is to continue in it, not to quit. You see, the only time we fail is when we choose to stop listening to the voice of the Lord, to stop listening to his instruction. So now, with all of this being said, the commission that God has given us, that Jesus has given us, is to go. Is to go. And we have been given knowledge and we understand that, but it's important that we say, okay, the time has come for us to go. And so I say to you, for many of us who, particularly those of who did the Discovering My Spiritual Gifts class, I, I, I want to challenge you to be thinking now, and we'll talk a little bit about this here in a few minutes, but here's the one thing I want to challenge you with. With the information you've been given, with the knowledge you've obtained about the kind of person you are, how God has equipped you, maybe the next step, not maybe, the next step is to ask God, how do I go? How do I put this into practice? How do I do that? 
You know, Jesus, all throughout his ministry, continued to teach his disciples, this very, his disciples these very, very important lessons. That it was important to learn the knowledge, but it was also really, really important to engage in what was going on. You see, Jesus would teach his disciples about love. He would talk about love, but then he challenged them and required them to act in mercy instead of judgment. And then Jesus showed them what that looked like. Jesus taught his disciples, hey, it's by the fruit of your lives that you're going to be known. So make sure that the kind of thing you're doing is producing the kind of stuff you want producing your life. And at one point, Jesus said an incredible story that I believe demonstrates what it means to live out the mission. He told it this way. There was a, a guy who was an expert in the law. What that means in the Bible times is, is that, that he knew all of the laws perfectly. There were, there were 600 plus of these things. And here was an expert in the law. Not only did he know them, but he kept them. And he was like really to the line and he would do all these little bitty things because somehow by keeping the law, that equaled some sort of uh, good feeling. Now the truth is he wasn't really keeping all of the law, but, but he believed he was. And so he went to Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, and Jesus would go to the, you know, he would go to this guy and he would say, Jesus, what is the, what is the greatest way? Like, 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 how do I reach eternal life? You've been talking about eternal life, Jesus. How do I do this? And Jesus says, well, well, you're the expert of the law, Jesus said. Why don't you tell me? What does the Bible say? What does the scripture say about it? And he says, well, the scriptures say that I have to love God and love my neighbor as myself. And he says, wow, if you do that, you got it. Good job. But the guy kept asking a question. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. I, but exactly, because I want to make sure I do it perfectly, all us perfectionists out there. I, exactly who is my neighbor so that I can make sure I don't miss one? Who are those people who are my neighbors? Who are those people that I'm supposed to be loving and showing mercy to and taking the mission to? Who, who are my neighbors? And then Jesus told this story. And this is a good one. So I'm going to read it, but it's going to be on the screen, but hang in here. And then he said this story. In reply to all of that, Jesus said this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Now I want to stop. Two words, super important. The guy that Jesus is talking to is an expert in Jewish law. Okay? So in that structure, the highest part of that is what's called is a priest. And the priest is the one who's sort of anointed, set aside, and he is the one who knows the law and has been anointed by God to actually do some of the things that the Jewish law requires. So Jesus says to the expert of the law, here's this guy, he's been robbed, he's on the side of the road, and a priest walks by and doesn't pay him any attention. Whoa. Okay. But so does a Levite. Now what we learn in the Old Testament is that the, the, the Jewish law kind of is being cared for, taken care of by the branch of Levi or the Levites. Right? I'm not going to get too far into this. But they also were given the responsibility of the handling of sort of the, the house of God and the worship of God. And so all the priests actually came from 
the tribe of Levi. But the whole point is this is the priest and then also all other Levites, those who ought to know what to do with the law. Pretty cool. Jesus says that guy walks by too, goes to the other side of the road. Here's this guy. He's been beaten, taken advantage of, shown injustice. And these two people who should know better walked on the other side of the road. And here he finishes the story. He says, but a Samaritan, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. As he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Jesus said, here's the Samaritan. Now, uh, in a little bit of the history, uh, the nation of Israel was oftentimes, not often, a few times was taken into exile because of their unfaithfulness to God. And one time the Assyrians did it. And, and, and during that time, um, some of the, the people who were foreigners, the Assyrians, actually intermingled in their uh, relationships with the Jewish uh, women. And so there became these people who were uh, under Jewish, you know, they were Jewish, but they were also married to foreigners. And so then eventually um, they, that wasn't any good and bad things started happening to the Assyrians. So they said, well, let's start worshiping this Jewish God. And so they all started learning how to do the Jewish law again. Are you hanging in here with me? But here's the bottom line. The real Jews, the ones who didn't intermarry, looked at these Samaritans, because that was the capital city of Assyria back there, and said, look at those Samaritans. They're half-breeds. They're not the real deal. They're not real Jews. And there was always a universal contention against all the Jews against the Samaritans. So if you learn nothing else, now you've got your history lesson. That's, that's how the Samaritans are. So when you read the Bible, you hear about the Samaritans, there it is. So you have to understand, Jesus said, here are these Samaritans who you would say, and the leaders of your different Jewish sections and tribes, you would say, these Samaritans are no good. They don't even count. They're half-breeds. They don't matter. And Jesus says, this is what the Samaritan did. And then he ends it by saying this to the expert of the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And what did Jesus tell him? Go and do likewise. You see, it's not just about knowledge. It's about action. It's not just knowing what to do. It's having that deep down inner strength that says, I will go. And I will do my best to do what I've already learned. And I may not do it perfectly. And I may stumble. And I may stub my toe on the way. And I might struggle. But I'm going to go and do likewise. I'm going to take what God has done in my life. I'm going to take my giftedness. I'm not going to pretend I'm somebody I'm not. But I will do this. I will not stop going. Just a commitment. I'm just going to go. You see, the moral of the story, although there are many of them there, you could pick the story apart. There's so many incredible things, like of how this was done, that the man used his own oil and his own wine, how the man did the bandaging of himself. He didn't just send him off to a hospital, although that would have been kind, but he brought personal attention to the man. 
I mean, it's powerful stuff. The moral of the story, it, the, really at the bottom of it is this, that the person who is best demonstrating that their life is working in conjunction with God's will is the person who is demonstrating love and mercy to those who are in need. Did you catch that? I'll say it again. That the person who is best demonstrating that their life is working in conjunction with God's will is the person in this story who demonstrated love and mercy to the man in need, and he did it through his actions. But here's one other thing. The Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan were all on the same road. The same opportunity was there. The key was, here was a Samaritan who chose to get off his donkey and get involved and help someone, right? He said, I'm going to get off of this donkey and I'm actually going to do something about it. I'm not just going to see it and pass it up. I'm going to put my faith into action. Now, we've all heard the phrase, you know, talk is cheap. But I actually believe that in many ways that talk can be very, very expensive because if talking is all we ever do, it can potentially cost someone their opportunity to receive mercy and forgiveness and ultimately the hope of Jesus. Do you understand? If all we do is talk, we're missing out on a big part of the Great Commission. Jesus said, we've been called, we've been sent. Go. Make disciples. Go. So now, I wrap it all up with this. There's a few things. I've been giving you homework over the last month or so. Um, Aren't you glad I'm a pretty good teacher? I grade on a curve. You're all passing. Um, But, you know, you're on probation. You know, one of those kind of things. So, come on, wake up. I know I've been talking a long time, but that's kind of funny. So, here's the deal. Um, I I put it in the book that I've been reading with Michael Frost, who's kind of talking about surprise the world. Um, He says that our mission, I love the way he says this, so I'm completely taking this from him, but I want us to put it on the way. He said this is it for Christians. Our mission is to alert others to the universal reign of God through Christ. I like that. That our mission is to alert others to the universal reign of God through Christ. That ultimately, when it's all said and done, it's not about, well, I'm not an evangelist. It's about, as a follower of Jesus, who's been given certain gifts by him, it is my mission to alert others in whatever way God has has provided for me to get up and to go do something about it, to alert others to the universal reign of God through Jesus Christ. Somehow, some way, I'm going to do that. So I have some homework for you to end it, right? But this is the easy part, because now I'm asking you, on a personal level, and I really can't check up on any of this, but here's what I want you to do. The first thing is, I want you to do, is to consider how you might engage in your conversations differently, knowing that you are actively being a part of a mission. Like, for example, in your relationships at work, the conversations that take place, how might I be able to speak differently a spirit of reconciliation or peace in the midst of that. How can I do that? Maybe there's a better opportunity for me to share my hope and my strength of my life with other people. Maybe you're at that school and it's a lunch table and there you have an opportunity and you get a chance to share, I don't know, what you did this weekend and it had nothing to do 
with maybe the conversation that's probably not all that glorifying around you, but maybe you get an opportunity to share an oppor- just something that happened to you or, and t- put yourself out there. And I know that that's tough when you're a teenager. I understand that's a difficult thing. You get mocked, and I understand you kind of get, you're scared to get made fun of, but I'm just saying that your mission isn't dependent on your age. Well, that's for my parents or the adults. That's for all of us. Or how about this, and maybe, what, maybe you're older, you've been a Christian for a long time, you say, Man, I've done my job, it's up for everybody else to do now. I think it's so sad because you, all of those who are coming behind you are going to be missing out on the opportunities that you could share about how Jesus Christ has over and over again helped you, transformed you, healed you, and, and encouraged your life. I mean, it's it just our goal is to alert others to the universal reign of God through Christ and to do that in whatever way he's gifted us. So maybe you could engage in conversation differently this week. Now, this week is Thanksgiving. Now, for some of us, we're going to be with a bunch of people, how do I say this carefully, that we call family, but that's the only thing that's putting us together at that table. And the conversations may be rough, and they may not always be glorifying, and they may drift towards conversations that we just would soon not have, and we are tempted to lie about how good the food is because grandma made it and she's so excited to make it or whatever the thing is. But you get my point. There's going to be a lot of conversations probably for many of you in this room today, this week, at Thanksgiving. Can I challenge you that in some way be conscious to bring up, to somehow make a part of the conversation what God's been doing in and through your life? And I, I know that, that sounds so hard and it's going to sound clunky because it's like when you know, Ralphie blurts out at the breakfast table what he wants for Christmas and it just doesn't flow right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just allow God's spirit to lead you and guide you into that and allow you to just say, you know what, I want to just share some cool things that God's been doing in and through me. Just a suggestion. That's a part of being sent is to share. But the second part is this. Now's the action part. I want you to to figure out how are some ways that I might be able to bring some reconciliation in the midst of some turmoil that's going on around me. It could be in your relationships, it could be work, it could be home, it could be any number of things. Maybe how can I participate in stopping injustice or abuse and neglect in my community? I'm going to make an active step to sign up to be a part of something that's going on around me, and I'm going to sign up and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a part of it. And, well, how do I do that? Well, here's the third part. I want to challenge you with your understanding of your giftedness. How can I help this community of believers called the Orchard? This group of people that we are Christians, we are followers of Jesus. It's our mission to alert others to the universal reign of God through Christ. This is what we're going to do. How can I help this community of believers that I regularly associate with to achieve our mission? I want us to ask that question and I want us to dive in. I want you to talk to me. I want you to talk to other people, like Brian uh, Coleman, who's also a part of this opportunity. He's oftentimes given us chances to serve and connect. Maybe you have ideas of ways to do it better. Maybe you have places where we could serve and, and do it in ways where we haven't done it before. I don't know. I just know you've been gifted. You've been blessed. You have been uniquely given the opportunity, whatever's going on in your life, to share with this community. And you are stopping us all from growing when you choose to do nothing. Now, I know that's hard, and I'm not trying necessarily to step on your toes. However, I am trying to kind of help us all to get off of our donkeys a little bit 
and to keep working and to keep going and to keep striving to be who Jesus has called us to be. Does that make sense? Because I believe that that's a part of that mission. What can we do? How can we do it? How do I engage in this community? So I look forward to hearing from many of you over the weeks to come about how we can engage together as a community. All right? I close with this. As we first started the orchard, many of you already know this, one of the things that we began with was our heartbeat of our church was that we didn't want to just be a group of believers that got together and our objective was to sort of be about us. But the goal from the very beginning was saying, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, how can we together collectively strengthen each other and yet be always about people? How do we help people? Whatever new program we're going to do, no matter what service project we've decided to do, how is it affecting people in our community? Those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are desperate, and those who are in need. That's the heartbeat of this community. It showed in, your, in the Discovering My Spiritual Gifts class that all of you kind of hit right in line. So we're in our sweet spot. The key is, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but the goal is to continuously stay in it, to keep going, to not stop, to keep pushing ourselves in new ways so that we can continue to expand and to alert as many people as possible to the universal reign of God through Jesus Christ. All right? So I'm excited about our future. I'm excited about where God is going to go with us because here's the thing. I don't have a really idea of what he has in mind, but here's what I know, that when he gets a gathering of people who are committed to the Great Commission, he does above and beyond all we could ever ask and imagine. Now that I know. So let's do that together. Let's go together. Well, here in just a few minutes, uh, we're going to take communion. I, I talked to you a little bit about that before. When we take communion together, it is not just some sort of ritualistic thing, although we do it routinely, but the goal is this, that we make sure that every time we gather, we put at the center of what we do that we never forget, that it's because of what Jesus has done for us, the, his death on the cross, his sacrifice, that we now have the ability to be free, forgiveness of sin, that we can have his grace instead of all of the, the sin and the shame that piles on. And so we use this time right now, our communion time, as a centering time. A time to take a deep breath, a time to remind each one of you as a believer, and I'm not implying that all of us are, but if you're a believer that this is a time to take a deep breath and to say, yes, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a believer in you, Jesus. I am forgiven because of your sacrifice on the cross and I'm surrendering myself to you. It's every week we just kind of allow this point to just remind ourselves of his great sacrifice. And so we pass out little pieces of bread and little cups of juice. We invite you to take one of each. If you don't want to, you can let it pass. But at your own time, you eat the bread and drink the cup. And then I'll close us with a word of prayer. But I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to take communion together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that in so many ways you provide us with everything we need to be who you've called us to be. God, we're on mission with, with you. This is your mission to seek and to save the lost. Help us to use our giftedness to be who you've called us to be. I pray that God, just now as we pause, that at the center of what we do, as Jesus told us, to be ever conscious and be reminded of you, Jesus, and of your sacrifice, of what you did and how you gave your body, the blood that was shed. May we use this time to center ourselves to give you the glory. We thank you, Jesus.
This is all for you. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.